And so the title of the message is, the title of our teaching for this evening is called Position of the Heart. All right? Now, on the path of Christianity, our walk with Christ, as it were, or walk of faith, or our Christian walk, however you uh, title it, our call is to daily grow. Amen? Grow daily. Sometimes we may not feel like it. I know I've had many of those days, I've had many of those weeks, many of those months, where I'm like, God, have I grown at all? And... Uh, And many times I feel that gentle nudge. Well, that's not my fault, Tommy. Okay? Uh, But it is a call. And sometimes even though the growth may be small, we we are called daily, daily to grow. Because our God, our God does not change. But we know there is so much to know about him that we'll never learn at all on this side of heaven. Amen? And probably not even on eternity. So we know with a God with infinite characteristics, we know that there is always something new that we can learn about God. Which means once we learn something new about God, it's a challenge to us. So we have the ability to grow daily and the call to grow daily, mature, and most importantly, continue walking forward. Amen? This walk with Christ needs to be just that, a walk, not a rest. You know, there are times of rest, but for the most part, this life that we live is a walk with God. And so there's forward motion, right? Amen? There's a, there's a forward, there's a call. So as we do this, we can effectively serve the kingdom in whatever capacity God calls us to. And uh, so here's a pretty good way to do this, okay? Now, I just um, gave the scripture while we were um, worshiping, but we're just going to go through a number of different scriptures tonight. Is that okay? All right, so we're going to kick off with Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. If they get it up on the screen, we'll read it there, but give you just a second to turn there. Psalm chapter 139, verses 23 and 24, all right? Now, it says it this way, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, try me. Test me, in other words, and know my anxieties. Verse 24, and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Okay, so in these two verses, let's go back to verse 23 because the answer to the question I'm about to ask is there. So what is mentioned as the place where God is asked to look for anxieties and wicked ways? God is asked to look in the where, church? The heart. The psalmist in chapter 133 encourages the Lord, God, I want you to search my heart. Take a look in there, okay? Because last time I checked, I don't have x-ray vision, and I'm pretty sure the psalmist didn't either, okay? Um, I I can't look down in there. I can't look inside through my flesh, through bone, and to look at my physical heart to see how it's working. And the spiritual matters that we are addressing right here are beyond my earthly vision. And so, Lord, I know that you have the ability to see through time, to see through space, to see through matter, okay, to see through it all. And, Lord, I'm asking you, search my heart. I'm asking you to try me. I'm asking you to to know me. You already know me better than I know myself. And I want you to reveal these things to me. If If there's something in me, if there's some anxiety, because anxiety speaks to worry, and worry speaks to a lack of trust. Amen? It's just the truth. Uh, I'll be the first to say that there have been times in my life where I've dealt with anxiety. And, 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 and some of you may have, some of you may have family members who have. The simple fact of the matter is, is there, can it be a problem? Absolutely. Can it be something real that needs to really be addressed? Absolutely. But at the core of it, it boils down to a trust issue. Lord, is there some things where I've become so worried and so fearful and so anxious about something that I'm not looking to you as my hope and my trust, my source and supply? Lord, is there any wicked way in me? This is where you're going to show it to me, in my heart. That's where it is, okay? 
So we see very clearly there that the psalmist says, I recognize that the things that have the ability to detract me and deter me, Lord, uh, quite spiritually and, and figuratively rest inside my heart. So let's look at this. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, and let's flesh that out, okay? 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 7 says this, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That is what the Lord is looking at. So if we look at the, you know, the chronological order of uh, these verses being written, 1 Samuel, this, this account in 1 Samuel is actually written, um, if you can take a look at it that way, uh, before, if we want to look at it that way from it being penned in Psalm, okay? Because we know that King David is the one who wrote the majority of the Psalms, okay? Now, some of those were written while he was a shepherd. Some of them were written in the latter part. But if we just want to look at it here, we can see that David ultimately became king over Israel, okay? And this was after the events of 1 Samuel chapter 16 that we just read, okay? So let's give a little backstory for those of you who may not know. Before King David, there was King Saul. King Saul was the first king of Israel. Okay, He was the first one chosen. And God handpicked King Saul. How'd you like to have that on your resume? I've been a king. I was handpicked by the creator of the universe. All right? Now, we're going to get in further on in this teaching. There's, there's going to be a, a shift in that, which is unfortunate, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. All right? So, God handpicked Saul. God handpicked Saul and had him anointed, had the prophet come and anoint him. Handpicked to be the king. And what had happened at this point was, 1 Samuel 16, 7, the Lord had sent the prophet yet again to anoint a new king who was not in King Saul's bloodline, who was not a son. At this point, not, not even a son of the house. He was nothing to King Saul. He wasn't an heir. He wasn't a friend. He was nothing. Yet God sent this prophet to come and anoint a lowly shepherd boy to be the king, the next king. Now, what's going on here in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7? Samuel comes, he goes into the house of, of Jesse, and Jesse's got all of his kids, or so we think. All of his kids lined up, all of his sons, all of his boys, because word had been sent. Jesse, get your sons. Get them. Get them all lined up, okay? The, the prophet Samuel's coming, okay, and, and, uh, and he wants to talk with you, okay? And so it, it becomes time that Samuel is there. God has sent Samuel there to somewhere amongst the sons of Jesse is the next king. And so what happens is he walks in, and, and it even says that if you want to go look at the verses before that, he begins to look over Jesse's sons, and he sees one of the first, big, tall, strapping lad, undoubtedly very handsome, and says, surely this must be the one. Look at his stature. Look at, you know, this, this looks like a king. He's, he's handsome. He's rugged. He can definitely do the job. And what had happened there, if you go and look whenever, whenever um, the physical attributes and the different attributes described of Saul, the Bible says that he was head and shoulders, above the rest of the men. In other words, he was a, you know, he looked the part, right? He looked the part. And it says he was very timid, you know, and, and we'll get to this and flesh it out a little more, but it's one of the reasons that God chose him. Says he was hiding. When King Saul was actually chosen, he was hiding. He didn't even, you know, he wasn't out there like, you know, gunning for the position. You know what I mean? God's the one who actually, hey, that guy hiding over there, hiding over there, the one, yeah, that's the one I want. And when he stood, he was a very handsome man, head and shoulders above everyone else, an imposing figure. And this was the man that God chose to be king. So Samuel, undoubtedly, hey, look, he kind of looks like King Saul. He kind of, you know, kind of resembles him. And he's a tall, strapping lad. And instantly, 
he was quickened from the Lord. He said, nope, I've rejected him. Now, it doesn't necessarily say I've rejected him because he sinned. I've rejected him because he's... But in other words, I see your thoughts, Samuel. I see that you think I might choose him because of his stature. I see that you might think that I choose him because of his, his, uh, his outward appearance. But I'm here to tell you, you are not here to pick my next king on any of that criteria. That is not what I'm looking for. Man looks at the outward appearance. I'm looking at the heart. And what come to find out, not a single one who had been brought and cavalcated in front of the prophet were chosen. And so Samuel says, look, I hear from, the, I can I just imagine it, you know, look, I hear from the Lord. Okay. Uh, now I'm not bragging, okay, but the Lord did tell me that I was here to anoint one of your sons. So um, I don't think you've shown me all your sons. Okay. To which at that point, Jesse goes, can, can you just imagine? Go get David. Please go get David. Some, hurry, hurry, hurry. Go get David. Do you want some lemonade? We're going to be a little while. Sorry. Okay. This was the son that everybody had, you know, Jesse had kicked out into the field. He was not regarded. He was not held in high esteem. His own father didn't even think to bring him in to have the prophet look at him. And yet, that's the one that God wanted, a lowly shepherd boy. Because God saw what was in King David's heart. And he was ready to anoint that for the future days ahead. Okay. So, at the end of the day, our heart is what we answer for. Right? The heart of the matter. You've heard that before. The heart of the matter is the truth behind any deception. It's behind any question, any doubt. But besides God, there's only one person who knows the true heart behind a motive, behind an action. Okay? And who's that? People may question my motives at the end of the day. People may wonder why I did a certain thing. People may wonder why you did a certain thing. And we can say whatever it is we want and, you know... You know, obviously, I, I, you know, we're all believers in here, and so that means we walk in the way of the Ten Commandments, and none of us ever slip up and ever fall and have the wrong motives, right? Ah, yeah. But at the end of the day, I can say whatever I want. I can say whatever I want, and I can make people believe whatever I want, but there's one person who can cut through all the nonsense, who knows my motives even better than I do, and that is the Lord, because he can see straight into our heart. So we're going to revisit that real quick. The verse that states in 1 Samuel 16, 7. So I've made mention of the two people that are the key figures in these passages of Scripture. All right? Um, one of the things that I actually read that reminded me of this message was um, the book, A Tale of Three Kings. Anyone ever read that before? Okay, phenomenal book. and Incredible. It's not a long read. I am not a reader. My wife just walked out. I was going to embarrass her. So I'll embarrass her while she's not here. My wife is a reader. She reads and reads and reads and reads and reads. And I do not read and read and read. I don't. I just don't. But uh, this book I actually completed in less than two hours. It's just an incredible book. It's one of those, I, 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 it was Pastor Mo, Sister Debbie, he actually gave it, I have it, 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 I've had it for years, just have never gotten around to read it, and we were talking about it, and he was like, you haven't read it? I said, I'm embarrassed to even admit it, Pastor Mo, I'm sorry. <laughs> he said, no, you're going to read it right. Uh, when he handed me, he said, I have an extra copy, because all my books are in storage right now. He said, I have an extra copy, read it. Well, the next morning, I walked back into his office and handed it to him and went, oh yeah. <laughs> I read it in under two hours. Amazing book, for even for somebody who's not, you know, if you're not a reader, it, it's, a, it's a good, quick read, but it is a good read. And uh, the kings that uh, of name in there are King Saul, King David, and then, of course, David's son, Absalom. So tonight, uh, in this particular message, Position of the Heart, we're going to deal with two of those. I'm calling the tale of two kings, all right? And that is King Saul and King David. 
Now, for the sake of time, if you're taking notes, I just want you to write these references down. That way you can check them and make sure Pastor Tommy's not, you know, given the wrong, you know, word. Come back and tell me later. Hey, you know, those scripture verses were wrong. So anyway, so in the book of 1 Samuel, we're continuing there in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 13, verses 8 through 14. What happened there is an account, and I'll summarize it. Saul had been instructed to wait. He was about to go in, um, he was about to go to battle, and he was instructed to offer sacrifice before he went out and fought for the Lord. Okay? Now, what happened was, he was supposed to wait for the prophet Samuel to get there. Right? And he had specific instructions from the Lord. Do not sacrifice until I get there. Okay? And what happened was, Saul began, the people began to mumble, and, you know, um, because Samuel was taking a little long. How many of you realize sometimes uh, God doesn't operate on our timetables? And we can get a little edgy, we can get a little antsy, and sometimes we can step forward and go ahead and do what we think is the right thing and do it at the wrong time. And Saul gave in to the pressure, and he sacrificed before Samuel got there, okay? And then in the uh, book of first, now here's the deal here, all right? It says the consequence of that, that particular act of disobedience, because it was, it was disobedience, Samuel came and said, Today, your line will no longer remain uh, royal. In other words, Saul, you have sons. By the right of kingship and all of the world around you that also operate with a monarchy, um, you know, as long as you remain on the throne, your sons and your lineage are the ones who are entitled to the throne. But because you have disobeyed God today, your line will not stay the royal line. So, you get to keep your job, but it's going to die with you. Okay? So, how many of you know that's, 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 I, I, I was talking with somebody before. Man, God just, whew, Old Testament, how many of you know, God just didn't play. God still doesn't play, okay? But you just read, I mean, it's just, it's just, I mean, quick, straight and to the point. I am so grateful for grace. How many of you want to say amen? Okay? But, it, he just, he wasn't playing. Saul, like I told you to wait, Okay? I have a direct line with God. If I'm telling you God said to wait, you better wait. Why couldn't you wait? And isn't it just typical? Like, it was almost like right after he sacrificed, right, Sister Girl? As soon, like, as soon as he was done, I can just see it now. He's wrapping up and everything, and there Samuel walks in through the thing. All right, everybody ready? What is going on here? Oh, well, we just finished. Man, we ju- man, you just missed it. All right, everybody get out of the tent. No, Saul, no, you stay right here. What did we just talk about? Don't you even get it? Don't you even realize that God is looking for obedience? To obey is better than sacrifice. God is looking for us to be obedient. Don't, don't you realize what this is exposing? Now, as a result of this, your line isn't going to continue to remain royal. Okay, now let's jump to 1 Samuel chapter 15. Here's another chance. Saul was given another command, okay? He was given a command to go to an enemy city and to, again, you can check it. In, it's in all in that chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 15. Completely and utterly. Somebody say utterly. Utterly. Meaning, you wipe them out. Because that is how God dealt with his enemies back then. You come against my children, you will be utterly destroyed. That means no man, no woman, no child, no building, no animal, nothing that is part of this kingdom that tried to come against my kingdom will stand. And that's what, that's the orders that Saul was given. You go and you utterly wipe them out. I don't even want them to exist on the face of the earth anymore. Go. And what happened was, again, 
Saul did not, he, he, he obeyed, but he only partially obeyed. He obeyed within his own context of it. So the prophet gets there again. Gets there and he goes, oh, Samuel, man, whoo, brother, I'm telling you, man, it, it was, it was awesome. I mean, we just, I, I mean, for the, it was, it was amazing. It was amazing. It was such a brilliant conquest. We utterly destroyed them. Oh, you utterly destroyed them. Yes, we did. We, man, we were out there taking names and tearing it down, man. We were, whoo, we, we were making it happen, man. God should be pleased. Really, you utterly destroyed them. Yes, we did. Well, then why do I hear the bleeding of sheep? Because I know that's not ours. Why do I hear this? Oh, well, see, see, okay, see, well, all right, well, okay, all right, let, let me back up a little bit. Can you just imagine the crawfishing going on right here, okay, by King Saul? Okay, see, what had happened, this is, this is how it went down, okay, see, we, we, we kept the best, right, right? We kept the best, and uh, and that's what we did. I mean, look, we destroyed everything, but we kept some of the best of the lambs, and, and you know, and hey, hey, we kept the king because we're we going to let him recognize you don't come against the God of Israel, right? Samuel. And Samuel hung his head and just began to speak the word of the Lord. As a matter of fact, let me, uh, let me just go there real quick and uh, see if I can find the particular part of Scripture in 1 Samuel chapter 15. Thank you very much. The word of the Lord came to Samuel, and uh, we're, we're going to come back to this in a little bit. I regret, I regret that I have made Saul king. I've said this before. That is, to me, there's a couple of scripture verses uh, that I hold particularly uh, as some of the scariest scriptures in the Bible. That, just for me personally, is one of them. Can you imagine? Because we just, we just all rose our hands and said, we're so thankful for the grace of God, right? We're, we're thankful for God's grace because he, he's long-suffering and he's patient and, and he gives to us and he gives us time to get it right and to, you know, fix the stupid, you know what I'm saying? When we're just, when we're just not getting it, just how many times has God just, you, you can just imagine this is Garland, God just going, hello, Tommy, can you get it? You're going to get it today? You know, and he's so patient and he's so long-suffering. But can you imagine just testing that grace and testing that patience so much where God literally comes and says, whereas once your resume said, I was handpicked by the creator of the cosmos to be the first king ever, to I regret that I ever picked you. You know, we can say those things, you know. Okay, you know, us on, on earth, you know, we can, hey, I think somebody would be, a, I mean, I think they'd be in a great leadership position. You know, I, I think this person, you know, we can even go to Pastor Mo. Hey, I, I think such and such would be really a great person, a great candidate to, to head up this ministry, you know. And, and, and you know what, sometimes it may seem like a great idea and it goes through and then Pastor Mo could say, man, you know what, I, I really regret making that decision. But you know what, we're human, okay, and we don't see everything. You know what I'm saying? We, we don't have the, the eyes of God. We can have the mind of Christ and we... You know, we work towards that daily as we walk with Christ, but we are not God, okay? We cannot see through time, through space. We cannot see all of the ins and outs as God can. So God knowing that, going, I regret that I ever chose Saul. I regret that I ever made that decision. For he has turned his back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry and he cried to the Lord all night. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning and it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel and behold, he set up a monument for himself. Not for God, but for himself. 
and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. Verse 13, And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you, the, <coughs> excuse me, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest have devoted to destruction. Then Samuel said to Saul, stop. I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, speak. You know he wasn't ready for this. Oh, you really, oh, you really want to hear? Speak. Verse 17. And Samuel said, right here everyone. Though you are little. In your own eyes. Are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I've gone on the mission which the Lord sent me. I've brought Agag, the king of Amalek. I've devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. Let's jump down to verse 24. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me, that I may bow before the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you've rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe and it tore. And Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. Yo, that's harsh. I mean, I, 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 man, if I was in prayer and like I started hearing the audible voice of God telling me that, I mean, I, I, I think I just, I just find a rock and never come out from underneath it. And, and that's how I feel. But yet, let's read on and see what happens here in the, in the face of just utter rebuke from God. Also, the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. Verse 30. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel, and return with me, that I may bow before the Lord your God. And Samuel turned back to Saul, and Saul bowed before the Lord. Now, now here's the deal, okay? And you can read the rest of it. Saul's utter concern at that moment, he admitted it. Okay, uh, yeah, uh, I sinned. But you know, it was the people. And I feared what the people would think of me. You know, I, hey, man, I, you know, I'm the king. I got I to gotta keep the people happy, right? And Saul was utterly showing his heart, the position of his heart, which was he no longer feared the Lord. He no longer cared what the Lord had to say. He cared about his constituency and keeping the people happy. And Samuel even busted him. He said, when you were small in your own eyes, Right? Can you, can you just imagine the pain in Samuel's voice? I mean, he spoke with anger, but, you know, coming from the Lord, right? Just the, just the, just the regret that God is having to hand down right now in someone that he handpicked. Man, I chose you because you viewed yourself as small in your own sight. And now it's all about big man Saul on campus. 
And that's not what it's about. You've revealed your heart. You don't care about repenting to me. You care about repenting to Samuel so that he can offer sacrifice with you so you can still look good in front of everybody. Utterly showing his heart, right? Utterly showing his heart. And what Samuel told him was, God has taken the throne from you and is going to give it to a man who is better than you. Now let's talk about that other man, King David. We know this, okay? Now, here's the deal. Was King David a man? Um, you know, the Bible refers to him, you know, a man after God's own heart. Yet the Bible clearly bears out here that King David did not have a spotless record. Amen? Let's look at that, okay? Let's talk about that. 2 Samuel, you jump over to 2 Samuel chapter 11, okay? And again, for the sake of time, I'm just going to summarize it. 2 Samuel chapter 11. King David is the king right now. He is in the, the prime of his rule, right? I mean, nobody. His authority, their dominion. I mean, look, David and his mighty, I mean, it, it's a really good time for the kingdom and King David. And the Bible says, at the time when kings go out to war, this king did not go out to war. He stayed home. He let some other guys go fight his fight for him. It says he was on his porch that night, and he looked out over the kingdom, and there was a woman bathing on her roof in the moonlight, and David saw it, and it says his mind was filled with lust. And instead of taking those thoughts captive and recognizing, oh, man, David decided to exercise a little kingly authority, had her brought to his chambers, slept with her, laid with her, bore a child with her, and whenever he found out that she was pregnant, instead of coming clean... He had her husband, who was one of, uh, you know, who was fighting in the war. He had him pulled off the front lines, tried to bring him home, have him sleep with his wife so he could cover it up. Whenever, the, whenever her husband said, no way, my king, I will not, while my brothers are out fighting the fight, I will not be with my wife. I'll stay, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay and guard the door here for you. If you're bringing me home, I'm, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a soldier. I'm a soldier right now. My, my brothers are out fighting, so I'm going to do what I have to do. And I'm just going to guard, I'm going to guard the palace. I can't go home and be with my wife. I, I got to be doing what I'm supposed to be doing. King David realizing that, uh, man, this is just not going to happen the way that I really want to. All right, Uriah, come here. Uh, I have a letter for you. Uh, thank you so much for guarding the door last night. I'd like you to take this letter back to your captain, back to the, the head, and I'd like you to give it to him. And basically, he carried his own death warrant to the front line. The orders were... Put Uriah at the heaviest part of the battle and then make everybody else step back. Instantly sealing his fate. So, of course, Uriah is killed in battle and King David goes, Oh my goodness, Bathsheba, I'm so sorry that your husband has perished. Come, why don't you be one of my wives? And why don't you come and I'll take you as my wife? And oh my goodness, you've had a baby. And you know what I'm saying? Can you see the, the plan playing out in his mind? Okay. Does this sound like a very godly man? No. <laughs> um, but what happened was, now there's a new prophet in town at this point, and who God sent to also deal with the, with the king. And it was a prophet, Nathan. So what happened was, Nathan comes, and he has to bring David and, and, uh, and, and expose him. And so what happens is he tells him a little parable. He said, you know, there was a rich man who had all kinds of sheep. He, had, you know, he was rich, and he had all this stuff. And, uh, and, and there was a poor man who had only one little lamb. And that rich man was just consumed to this poor man's little lamb. He's like, man, that lamb is the most awesome little lamb I've ever seen. So you know what the rich man did? He went over to the poor man, and he took the poor man's lamb, and he took it for himself. And King David goes... You know, it was filled with righteous indignation, right? Oh my goodness! How could he do such a thing? To take the poor little man's, the only lamb we had, when he had plenty of lambs of his own, he must be punished. 
And what happened in that moment, if you want to go and read it again, it's in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. King David drops the hammer on David, or, I'm sorry, Nathan drops the hammer on King David in front of everyone. King David, you are that man. In other words, King David's sin was exposed to the whole court. We know what you've done. God has revealed it. You have caused, you have given occasion for the armies against, for the enemies of God to blaspheme the name of the Lord. Now, let's look at this, okay? Let's check this out, okay? So, King Saul was busted by a prophet. King David was busted by a prophet. Both of them sinned in the eyes of God, right? Okay, because we recognize disobedience is a sin. Obviously, adultery, subversion, murder, hey, those are sins too, okay? So both of these kings at this moment have a track record and have a, have a mark on their file where they have sinned and their sin was exposed by a prophet of God. Now let's look again at the positions of the heart, what we're talking tonight, and how this applies to us. The position of Saul's heart upon hearing God's judgment was an admission that he feared the people more than the Lord. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, it says, if I seek to please man, I would no longer be a bondservant of Christ. Okay? So though that's in the New Testament, we have the whole Bible to read. And God has given us that as a warning all throughout to look at that. When our heart begins to move to pleasing men over pleasing God, we're no longer a servant of Jesus Christ. Now, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 24 through 30, when Samuel reveals Saul's true heart of rejection, his response is one of trying to save face, not true repentance and recognition of breaking God's heart. So God said that he regretted that he made him king. Now, here's the difference, okay? In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13, David's response to God's judgment is simply this. I have sinned against the Lord. And the song that we just sang, created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me, that psalm was written from the heart of King David as a response to his sin being exposed. He didn't try to backpedal. He didn't try to tell Nathan, look, man, you got to cover this up for me. But, I mean, you, I mean, my rule is over with. Do you understand? I mean, if, if word of this gets out on social media, I mean, I'm ruined. I'm ruined, man. I, I, you know, I mean, you don't understand. You, you got to cover this up. You got to cover this up for me. Like, you got to make this look. You, you got a word with you, you. The people know that you talk to God. You got to go out there and smooth things over for me. You got to get the PR department to work on this. You know what I'm saying? Everybody know what I'm talking about. We're so quick. We see that in society today. We are so quick to, to, to try and, and even the apologies for all the dumb things that we see happen in the world today. All these insincere apologies. I, I'm so sorry that this happened. And then we just act like nothing ever happened. And that's exactly what Saul tried to do. Look, man, I messed up. But I really need you. Can you, can you go out and make it look okay for me? Can you go out and just make it look like my heart's not full of garbage? And what happened was King David, look, King David was a man just like you. He was, a, he was a human being, imperfect man, just like us sitting here tonight, okay? Now, I've said this before. If we look at it through the filter of public opinion, if we were to put this out and do a poll on Facebook, okay, let's, let, let, let's weigh these two sins, shall we? Let's do the King Saul hand of Wade and the King David uh, hand of Wade, right? What did King Saul really do? He sacrificed a little early. Hey, God told him to sacrifice. He just did a little early, right? Okay? And, you know, hey, man, he utterly obliterated the Amalekites. But he kept the good stuff even though, you know, he, he just kept a couple of things and he kept the king to make an example of them. This is all good stuff, you know? Yeah, but his heart was in the right place, right? We've said that before. 
So he sacrificed a little early, and he kept a couple of things. No big deal. Hey, man, King David, man, he committed adultery. He murdered the dude's wife, and then he tried to cover it all up. But in the court of public opinion, I think we all recognize which scale we would say, without the eyes of heaven, would be tipped. I know I would, just normally. I'd say, well, King David's the one who needs to get busted. I mean, my gosh, adultery, murder, subversion, sacrificing a little early. But I'm so grateful that God doesn't see the way man sees. God looks at man's heart. Because there have been plenty of people going around doing what seems to be minor things, and their hearts are completely in the wrong place. Completely, completely in the wrong place. The position of Saul's heart was stubbornness and a lack of repentance, a lack of passion. But the position of David's heart in this matter was repentance and worship. He went, he tore his robe, and he went into a room, and he began to fast, and he began to pray, and he began to plead with God. What was he begging? God, he didn't say, God, don't take my kingdom from me. He's begging God. Don't take your presence from me. See the difference? And this may seem so simple to us, but when we look at the word, it's just such a... And because there have been so many times where we can just look at things and, and just circumstances, even in our own lives, and we can try and justify and, and say, well, it wasn't so bad. And if we really look at it from the eyes of heaven, God would say, tell me, look, man, I'm trying to get you to recognize your heart was in the complete wrong place. You better get it right. Because just as a father chastens a child whom he loves, God has to chasten us sometimes. And David needed some chastening. But the difference and the reason that he is referred to as a man after God's own heart is when he was chastened, he changed. His heart was in the right place. When Saul was chastened, he bucked it. He said, well, fine. If that's the way you're going to be, I don't want anything to do with you. Just make it look okay. May we never, starting with me, ever get to a place where we can just phone in our walk with God, keep it live, looking just right on the surface, but underneath our heart are just just messed up. We're just looking in the wrong, you know, it's just, the position is just wrong. This is here, both of these were men who were human, who had messed up. Look, has God's view of sin changed? Sin is sin, right? In God's eyes, it was both the same. We're the ones who place value systems on things of sins, and we rate them and stuff. To God, it was, it was wrong. David, you messed up. Saul, you messed up. It's the same across the board. You disobeyed me. You disobeyed me, and I've exposed it. What are you going to do about it now? Are you going to buck and get your feathers all in a bristle and fuss at me because I dared to hold you to a standard? Or are you going to rise up in the correct heart and say, God, forgive me. I don't care about my kingdom anymore. I don't care about my crown anymore. I don't even care right now what the prophet Nathan said that the, the enemies of God now have occasion. God, I care right now that I messed up and my, and my position with you is in jeopardy. Please, Lord, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. God, please do not cast me away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. God, I'm sorry. Please, Lord, forgive me. Do you think, and I've said this before when I've said it, do you think right then, not that God, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe God would, maybe God would have not have. I don't know. But do you think at that moment right there, if God would have showed up in the midst of King David's just utter heart cry before him and said, David, I will forgive you. I want your crown right now. I think in that moment, David would have taken it and 
I mean spiked it like a Super Bowl football. That's what you want? We're good? Here, take it. Take it. I don't want it. Just don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Don't take your presence from me, God. I've messed up. I've, I've sinned, and I'm repenting. My heart must be in the right place. And that's why we have the Word of God to remind us the position, to keep our hearts, to keep us, to keep our position in the right place. Saul, 1 Samuel 15, 22, to obey is better than sacrifice. God, hey, look, I was doing this for you. I was sacrificing for you. Well, did you obey me? Or did you just sacrifice? I care more about your obedience. And then in Psalm 51, 16 and 17 says, you do not desire sacrifices. What does it say in there? A broken and a contrite heart God will not despise. You know, I, I don't know anybody else. I'm going to put my hand down. How many of you like to be broken and put in a place where you are contrite? None of us do. It's human nature to buck against those things. Nobody wants to be broken. Nobody, you know what I'm saying? We resist hardship. We resist because it's human nature. Who wants to go through hardship? But many times God can use those moments to test the, if we want to say it this way, our spiritual metal, where our heart truly lies. Is it in saving face? Is it in trying to seek our own? Or is it in realizing, God, you know what? Sometimes the brokenness that comes our way isn't even our fault. Sometimes we're completely innocent in the matter. But things will still happen. And I don't know why those things happen, church family. Sometimes we go through brokenness and we go through situations for no good reason. In terms of, well, you know what? I, I didn't do like David. I didn't, I didn't commit adultery. I didn't, you know what I'm saying? Because King David walked through some hardships. He, God, re, God restored him. God forgave him. But there were still some consequences that King David had to walk through. And yet in all of that, he never became bitter to God. He never became bitter for the things that he had to walk through. He knew there were consequences. Oh, that we would keep our hearts always in the right place. God is looking for us to be like David, a man after his own heart. If we continue to ask the Lord to search us, if we continue to ask the Lord to show us our true motives, we may find that there are a few things that we may not need to do anymore. You know what I'm saying? That's kind of a scary thing, right? Sometimes it's a little scary to ask God to search my heart because I don't know necessarily that I'm going to like what he, you know, what he finds and shows me. You know, what is our motive? Why do we do what we do? The groups and the friends that we have, the dreams and the aspirations that we have, the ministry or ministry positions we seek. What is the heart behind what we do? Is it to be after God or is it to be after us? The more we know the Father, the more of his character and his heart we will take on. The challenge for us is to continue to let God search us, but search us even deeper. So in the days ahead, the position of our heart must be after the Lord to be a people. To be a people after the Lord's own heart. Even more than we are now. So as we continue to have God search us, as we continue to have God try our motives, it doesn't stop there. Once it's been revealed, we've got to let the Father remove the unwanted stuff, right? You know, because if he reveals it to us, he wants us to deal with it. He wants us to get it out. And sometimes, you know, that's a whole lot of fun too. <laughs> But we recognize that God is doing that because he loves us so much. Amen? Amen? Look, I, I, have, I have three sons. You've seen them running around this church, okay? And if you've spent any amount of time with them and me in the same room, you know that it don't always end so pleasantly with me with a smile on my face, right? I'm a daddy. Many of you here have been parents and are still parents, okay? There are times where it, it, it doesn't end well. And I've shed many tears 
over my children when I've, I've taken correction too far. Sometimes I've corrected in anger. I'm so grateful that we have a loving Heavenly Father who never corrects us in anger. He corrects us in love because He knows that the correction that He brings is going to keep our heart in the right place. We just have to respond to it in the correct way. In the light of His great love and all that He has cleansed us from, how could we not want to be after His heart, right? How could we not want that? To have his heart, to have his character, to be not only like him, but to be with him. So 1 Corinthians, we'll end on these two uh, verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 31 says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God, because he knows our heart motives. We even sang about it tonight, if you were picking up any of the song by the time we were done with it. The glory of God the things that we do, the things that we pursue, those to, to lift up the glory of God, that our hearts would be after that. Amen? In the things that we do, in the, in the ministry that we pursue. Because look, we all have a part in the ministry. We all have a part in that. Where Pastor Mo has, has, has challenged each one of us about inviting people and said, look, that, that's part of what the Word of God says, to be ministers of reconciliation. Okay, we've even talked about that. It was, it was in the Word. But getting people here, it's not just to fill up these pews. It's not just to say, oh, we had 200 people on Easter Sunday morning at, at LCC Berwick. We haven't had that in forever. It's not to say that. It's to say we had that many souls in here, and many of those didn't know God, and they were faced with the truth of the living God and what he can do for them. And if that's our heart, God is going to honor that. If it's just to see numbers increase then the true motives of that will be bore out eventually. Because God's not going to allow his character and his, all that he is to be mocked or to be polluted or to, or to be misrepresented or misconstrued. God is about his heart first, and his heart is to reconcile a lost world to him. And so when our heart is to be after him and to be after the things of him, they will be honored. And our lives, so if our lives do that, how can we not find ourselves in a place where God loves us and doesn't regret doing anything for us. Amen? And the final thing, Colossians 3.17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. God, let that be the position of our hearts to be after yours in everything we say and everything we do. Amen? Amen?